Thank you for pressing start on episode 25 of Underplayed, KZUM's indie video game podcast. Today we have two secret games, followed by a review of our featured game, Stray. Here on Underplayed, we review indie games of all kinds, the games with small budgets but big hearts, the lesser-known experiences with imaginative ideas. I'm Bopo, and joining me is my player two, Disco Cola. How's it going, Disco? It's going great, Bopo. How are you? I'm feeling feline, my little kitty in a robot city. That's a reference to our feature game, Stray, (laughs) (laughs) which has been in the news recently in the gaming world because... As we sit down to record this episode, which will be released much later, we just learned about nominations for the annual Game Awards, and Stray showed up in a lot of important categories. I think more categories than I expected. Our featured game today was nominated for Best Art Direction, Best Game Direction, Best Action Adventure, Best Debut Indie, Best Indie Game, and the big one, Game of the Year. And I think it's the only indie game it was to only, be in yeah. the Game of the Year category this particular year. In the last so. few years, there's been an indie game, I think, at least the last three years in a row, which is not nothing. Yeah, that's really cool. I think a lot of games like Stray are played by the masses, and it's a game that was highly anticipated for a couple years because it was revealed in 2020, yep. um, which we can get to our initial impressions what our expectations were for the game when we get to that featured review section of the episode. But uh, did you have any reactions to seeing these nominations or um, anything that makes sense to you or doesn't make sense? No, I I think that's all justified. And everybody, everybody was playing Stray the week it came out, you know, just like when I would sign on to Twitch, you know, everybody, every single person that I follow pretty much was playing Stray. So makes total sense. Stoked about it. Um, I think it's probably a shoe in for debut in or whatever. Yeah, debut indie. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think it, it's almost guaranteed that Tunic is a great game. Um, and I, you know, it, it deserves to win too, but I think it probably, uh, Stray's probably got it beat. Yeah. The, in the indie game category, you've got Cult of the Lamb, Neon White, Sifu, Tunic, and Stray, which, most of those, I think you and I have vetted as potential future featured games. We will probably play uh, some or all of those games someday for the show. Yep. So that's really exciting. We're kind of just dipping into the award category for best indie from the Game Awards. Yep. I see these nominations, and it's kind of reminding me of how at the Oscars, for instance, sometimes a foreign film or a foreign language film will make its way into the best picture category. Um, So you've got that initial category that's more niche, more specific, and you figure, well, if that movie's showing up in that category and the best picture category, it's probably a shoe in for the best international feature category. So I'm looking at this and I'm thinking Stray being nominated for best indie game and best debut indie and game of the year, it's probably going to get best indie game, right? Because none of those other indie games are nominated for game of the year, but who knows? Um, I could definitely see it getting art direction, um, which we can get into more in our review, but I thought the art direction was 
uh, very noticeable and mm-hmm. very commendable mm-hmm. in Stray, too. So a lot of the technical ones and a lot of just the general awards that it's nominated for. Yeah. Now, this episode will come out in the middle of January, and the Game Awards are December 8th, so we're just kind of like... Yeah, we're, we're we're placing our bets right now, and we'll find out. You'll find out if we're if we're right. Yes. So maybe <laughs> sometime in like, you know, the whatever episode comes out in February or or maybe like late February, we will have learned about uh, the game awards by then, and then we'll uh, talk about it there. So um, it does seem like we're behind the times, but that's just how news is covered on this show. Very untimely. <laughs> and then uh, Stray was also a winner for PlayStation Game of the Year at the Golden Joystick Awards, which was the 40th anniversary edition of this award show that I'm not as familiar with, but PlayStation Game of the Year. There you go, for straight. All right. Um, before we move on to our secret games, I had an observation about something with Stray, but uh, it's something that it has in common with other games we've played for Underplayed and games we will play in the future for Underplayed. And it's a very specific thing. Okay. You know I'm a a trophy fanatic yes. on PlayStation. Yes. We both are. Uh-huh. And I was seeking the Platinum Trophy for Stray uh, in preparation for this episode. And I noticed, you know, the Platinum Trophy has a name for each game. Like the name of the trophy can be different. It's not just called Platinum Trophy. Like sometimes it's something really specific to the game. Right. And for Stray, I noticed the Platinum Trophy is called All Done, which makes sense. You've done everything. Time to move on to the next game. All Done. And I that looked familiar to me. I was like, you know, I think other games have done that. But it makes sense. It's like one of the first things you might think of if you're designing the trophy lists and you're trying to name everything, right? So All Done. And on PSN Profiles, you can search up uh, different trophies, right? Oh, so I searched... Okay. The name you can search for a name of a trophy, and then you can find out what game that might be from. So I searched the keywords "all done," and "all done" is a very common name for platinum trophies, and a vast majority of them are indie games. Yeah, and a lot of them we've We've played played, for this show, and some of them are coming up too. I know, seeing that right now. So for the "all done" platinum trophy, when it comes to indie games, these are the games that I found that fit those parameters. So you've got Stray. Uh, previous featured games, Kentucky Route Zero, Outer Wilds, 12 Minutes, and then upcoming featured games, Solar Ash and Sayonara Wild Hearts this very season, previous secret game, Maquette, uh, a game you and I both love very much and we vetted as a future featured game, Donut County, wow. um, as well as Goragoa, uh, Watam, A Memoir Blue, the Artful Escape, another uh, vetted feature game, um, and then other miscellaneous indie games, Telling Lies and Last Stop. Oh, and also the PS5 version of What Remains of Edith Finch, which added a platinum trophy, whereas the PS4 version didn't have yeah, a platinum yeah. trophy. That's another previous featured game. What the H? <laughs> and so I will be seeking more all done trophies <laughs> will be probably too, in the future. Apparently. We both will, apparently, with even yet this season. So there you go. Uh, with that, let us move on to our secret games. The secret games, games. that you Games 
This is our first segment where we each review an indie game we've been playing on our own in secret. We don't know the game the other person picked. We can pick any game that we haven't talked about on Underplayed before. It can have a lot to do with our featured game this episode. It can have nothing to do with our featured game this episode. It's just kind of a grab bag of whatever we want to play. And so we will start with you, Disco Cola. Let the mystery be no more. Reveal what your secret game is for episode 25 of Underplayed. All right, Bopo, this game is going to surprise you. Do you want to guess what my secret game is? Uh, Wattum. Yes, very good. No, I'm kidding. Uh, (laughs) My secret game. Hang on a second. Hang on a second. You, since this is the stray episode, okay, we're talking about cats. Okay, I'm wondering if you picked a game about pets, like dogs or cats, maybe just cats. Okay, um, is that accurate? Yes. Do you play as a cat in your secret game? Yes. Ooh, um, that's kind of given me like Momodora vibes, where you play, oh. <laughs> or Kentucky Route Zero vibes in Chapter yeah, Five, where you, you play, play as, as a cat, cat right. momentarily, but not the whole game, maybe. Oh, boy. Uh, you know, one indie game I can think of that's about cats is Cat Quest. Did you oh, play Cat Quest? I did not play Cat Quest. Or Cat Quest 2? Okay. No. Um, I don't know if I could think of any more on the spot. My secret game comes from Video Cult, and it is called Rain World. Oh, <laughs> amazing. Okay. So I know that you and I have both uh, at least touched this game, but uh, I did send you a trailer just yeah, in case. I will refresh my memory by watching this trailer while you talk. So in Rain World, you play as a squishy cat-shaped creature called a slug cat. And at the beginning of the game, you're separated from your slug cat family after accidentally falling into a body of water. Um, and now you're on your own and you have to survive in a world full of creatures, many you're seeing in that trailer there. Uh, that want to eat you and an atmosphere with a frequent and oppressive rain, uh, given the title. Um, and I'd say that pretty much sums it up. Uh, most of the game is really about surviving. Um, in addition to avoiding all of these different enemies and the rain, you are also uh, you also have to hunt for food. So even if you happen to know some of these locations that you need to get to, uh, to rest or survive or whatever. Um, you can't necessarily just beeline it there. You have to keep yourself fed. Um, and this this is like it probably one of the main defining mechanics, and I find it simultaneously annoying and fascinating. Um, it's not necessarily like a common mechanic in games. You usually have something like a health bar uh, that sustains damage from the environment or occasionally, in this case, poor self-care. Um, But then eating food will just increase your generalized health bar. In this case, Maslow's kind of the boss, uh, and you and all of your predators uh, must eat. And then once you've eaten, you must then find shelter from the rain. So you're constantly fighting against not only the clock and predation, but also hunger, all while being a squishy little slug cat. Um, So I'm going to dig into some of my likes and dislikes. Uh, First up, you know this, the game is hard. Uh, it's not hard in the same way that like Fury is hard or that Celeste is hard. Those two games are like skill-based games, and I honestly think that there are people in this world that are like probably physically incapable of completing those games. 
Rain World's difficult because survival is difficult. And I think most people probably can beat Rain World, but it requires patience, diligence, and some some heckin' luck, my friend. And uh, I couldn't do it. I couldn't beat it. So most of my likes are actually going to come from some research that I did. Um, but I, I do now have an incomplete on my record with this game. Uh, I, I didn't finish Wilmot in time for the recording of that right, episode. Right, but you were very close. Yeah, it was very and close. I I didn't finish Golf Story. Right. I got to the very, you know, I played that 16 hours or something, got yeah. to the very last challenge. Just, I didn't have the patience for it. But yep. what's noteworthy about this one is, not only have we both touched it before, I just want to add this context for listeners. Um, you and I played this one together. Yeah. Before we did Underplayed, before we started this podcast, um, we tried playing this at your place, and I remember it just being so oppressively difficult and um, not not very generous with checkpoints, not nope. very generous with rewards for nope. accomplishments. And I think we both got frustrated with it. And I kind of vowed to never want to try <laughs> it again. Yeah, after I just, remember after just maybe like an hour or yeah. an hour and a half, maybe yeah. with the game. It was so very difficult, and it, it doesn't hold your hand. Yeah, out of the gate, it's hard. Like it yeah. doesn't even really. Hold your hand. Doesn't uh, tell for, you how to do anything. Yes. Really, you have to. I mean, you get some sort of visuals that tell you to eat, but that's about it. You know, you right. kind of have to decipher yeah. the rest of the world. It kind of uses iconography in the way that um, a hyperlight drifter might. Yep. You know, where you're not reading the English language; exactly. you're just kind of interpreting imagery. That's exactly right. So yeah. I wasn't really even close to finishing it after I started researching it. As it turns out, I'd put in over twenty hours. Uh, I made my way through this dark area called the Shaded Citadel, and it was like the third zone I visited, and I ended my failed playthrough in a place called the Garbage Wastes. As it turns out, that's kind of like backwards. You're supposed to sort of go through the Garbage Wastes first in most playthroughs and then to the Shaded Citadel. I took the wrong exit out of Shaded Citadel, and uh, that place, like all dark levels in all games, sucks. And I have no desire to get this save file and go back to the Shaded Citadel. Um, so that's kind of a bit of a like and a dislike. Uh, and it's cool that you can go pretty much anywhere as long as you can survive. I think that's cool. It makes the world feel really organic. Just like at the beginning of the game, when you fall in the body of water, you end up somewhere else. You can take a pathway that you just happen to stumble upon and end up somewhere that maybe you would prefer to visit later in the game. But as it turns out, right now, I'm sort of in this, like, one-way doorway in Garbage Wastes, and I can't really figure out how to reverse it. I don't think it's possible to get soft-locked in this game, uh, but if I'm not soft-locked, I'm not skilled enough to figure out how to get back to where I need to be. Other dislikes, uh, Predator AI seems pretty inconsistent. Sometimes you can just kind of, like, bop by some of the creatures, and they'll barely have time to react. Other times, you're already eaten before you get the chance to even do the bop. And uh, that just, it's its not consistent in that sense. Um, the survival and cycle system is sort of confusing at first. Once you get the hang of it, it sort of makes sense, kind of, sort of. You at least know how to manipulate it eventually. Um, but it's not really explained and requires a lot of trial and mostly error to, to figure it out. Um, sometimes you'll enter a room and an enemy will already be just like in the little doorway uh, and there's nothing you can do. You just die. You're eaten before you get a chance to turn around. 
uh, yeah, nature don't care. It don't don't <laughs> it don't give a single uh, single fiddle pie yeah, there. This is circle of life. Um, this game has a lot of like auto snapping and and so what I mean by that is there's like if you're on a ledge or balancing on a on a point and you're about to leap to another ledge or drop down somewhere, the game has a bit of like an aim assist, but many times it put me on an unattended platform or ledge. And so when that happens, there's many times where you'll have to circle around the entire room just to get back up to that failed jump and attempt it again. Um, that's really annoying. You know, it may surprise you, but your gooey little slug can't, uh, can't jump very high. He can jump a little far, but he can't jump very high. Um, so that's most of the dislikes. Uh, it probably doesn't sound like very many, given how I didn't finish this game. Um, and they're all mostly based in difficulty. Uh, but my likes, however, will probably surprise you specifically in that I actually have some. Um, <laughs> Slugcat, first of all, is really adorable. That's one of the biggest reasons that I bought the game, in addition to just like the pixel art and design. Um, yeah, the cat is expressive and yeah. uh, has great animation, unlike other cats that you've seen in other games. Yeah. Just the way it moves and flows around in this pixel art style. Yeah, it's yeah. very cute. Love him so much. Um, for a game with really slow movement, you can actually find yourself getting into a flow pretty often. There were several times where I sort of like found myself jumping at all the right times and just the right places and dodging all the lizards. And I love that feeling, especially if like the auto aim wasn't working against me. So that can be really fun if you can find that flow. Um, this world is really fascinating. There's so many layers to it. On its surface, it's creatures just trying to survive, but there's so much more. Um, there's story here. I didn't get all of it, of course, but if you want to dig for that, it gets really fascinating and unexpected. There's just so much more at play than you could have imagined. Um, physically, there's ecosystems, like several really well thought out logical ecosystems. It makes sense for these creatures to have existed and adapted in the areas that they live. Um, but they also interact with other creatures in different ways. And, and you can just learn a lot about each individual creature by just like observing them and occasionally probing them yourself. You can learn what kind of defenses a certain creature has or whether it's more or less threatening uh, than another. And that's kind of really one of the things that I found the most enjoyable when I didn't feel like my life was in imminent danger. Um, I came across a YouTube video by a channel called, uh, and I might pronounce this wrong, Das Zombes. It's D-A-S-Z-O-M-B-E-S. And he catalogs the entire fauna of Rain World. And it's one of the most interesting YouTube videos I've seen in a very long time. Wow. And it really got me interested in trying to see more of Rain World. So I highly recommend checking out his videos on the flora and fauna of Rain World if you're sort of on the fence. Uh, and the world itself looks really cool. Um, I'm always fascinated by art that depicts our planet after we're done devastating it. And uh, Rain World is a pretty stellar representation of a ruined world bouncing back from the brink. Um, I love looking at the backgrounds and all the little details all over the place. Uh, and like Hollow Knight's map, all of the different locations make sense next to each other. It makes sense for the wastes to be under, you know, what it's under. It's It all makes sense cohesively. The map itself is annoying to read, but the world's built uh, is really cool. 
Um, so yeah, incredible world building, uh, and I think that is the game's biggest strength. Ultimately, I think Rain World is probably the most difficult game I've ever played, but I would still also say that Fury is the most difficult game I've ever played. They're just, they're different. Yeah, different reasons. Um, and I, it, I didn't finish it myself. After playing it this time around, I do feel like I could, and I would definitely be uh, interested, but I would only do it if I was following a guide. Rain World's doable, it's just hard. Um, the world fascinated me before I bought the game, and after some auxiliary research, I'm interested in finding these secrets on my own. The game is definitely not for everyone. I'd probably only recommend it to people with specific visual art tastes or people who claim to be really good at video games. Uh, so I could humble them or at least shut them up for a minute while they're distracted. Um, it is an unassuming game. Like it is dark. It's got a lot of rain. Uh, it's got a dark color palette, but it is a pixel side-scrolling platformer game. It looks surmountable yeah. for sure, like yeah. just on the on the surface. And Absolutely. then you play it and it's just ridiculously yeah. oppressive. It's one of those games you're like, oh, I heard this was hard, but I bet I could do it. Yeah. I can do other games like this. And right. then you're just, you can't. And you like can't. the trophy uh, PSN profiles, I'm looking at how many people are registered as game owners for this. Almost 3,000 game owners, less than 100 platinum achievers for... Um, not even 4%. It's like 3.33% platinum achievement on this. So, yeah, I definitely yeah. didn't play it on my main profile. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> from what I've seen of the story and ending, I don't think I would love it personally, but it's definitely surprising. And I do hope to revisit the game someday when I have the time. But at this time, with my knowledge and experience with Rain World, I want to give it a 6.5. Okay, that sounds fair. And I like how you outlined those positives it definitely does have beauty to it. It definitely does have a style that it commits to. And that attracted me to want to play the game, just like you were attracted to it at first, I think. It is just too oppressive for me. Um, you said that you were having a tough time even just finding your way back to a place you had been before. Do you have an estimation of how much of the game you saw, like a percentage of how many screens in the game I think you witnessed? Well, I think there are 12, like zones and I w I visited four or five okay yeah. and I don't think you have to visit all of them to finish the game um but uh yeah I did not see okay I I think I saw probably less than 50 percent of the game unfortunately but you did say you put in 20 hours at least which yeah. is a really fair shake I mean that is a great attempt I probably would have given up way sooner because <laughs> In these games, um, you know, I need a map because I'm so directionally challenged. I'm more directionally challenged than you are. And you're really experienced with Metroidvanias and those kinds of games where the map is sprawling. You need to revisit areas. You need to be very mindful about where you've been and where you're going and how to get back to places. And even you are struggling with that aspect of this game. So I hope that is a testament to how tough this game is. Yeah. And it just makes me more... <laughs> unlikely to want to touch this one. But I'm glad you found a place for this um, with some synergy with Stray, you know, playing as this character for yeah. Underplayed. So yeah. good job. Yeah, I yeah. appreciate that. I played the physical edition from Limited Run Games on PS4. It's also available on Switch and Windows. Wonderful. It is time for My Secret Game. And My Secret Game uh, does not have a lot in common with Stray, but it is... The Procession to Calvary. Have you heard of The Procession I to Calvary? I have not heard of The Procession to Calvary. Okay, I just sent you the trailer, which you can watch while I talk. All righty. 
So The Procession to Calvary is a 2020 point-and-click adventure game developed by Joe Richardson and published by Joe Richardson and Superhot Presents. I will read the game synopsis from the Steam storefront. Quote, Pilfer from pirates conspire with cardinals and perform miracles with an incompetent magician. The Procession to Calvary is a Python-esque adventure game made from Renaissance paintings and a spiritual successor to the critically acclaimed Four Last Things, end quote. It does mention the Four Last Things there, which is Joe Richardson's previous game before this, and I have not played that one, but I did watch a trailer for that. It looked similar to this game. So in The Procession to Calvary, it's using this cutout animation style that reminded me of this show from when I was a kid called Angela Anaconda. Okay. Do yeah. you know Angela I Anaconda? Know. There, yeah. There's Digimon fans know Angela Anaconda. Oh. Don't worry. Okay. No, well, now I want to ask questions about that because <laughs> I don't understand what that means. But Angela Anaconda was a show with cutout animation with these uh, black and white, realistic looking characters, but they were kind of stop motion-y, kind of like South Park. Yeah. That's kind of what's going on in this where you have each screen as a Renaissance painting that's come to life with characters pulled out of it. And then they're, they have all these, um, you know, points of articulation. Uh, but the movement is very, I guess, blatant and, um, jerky and Mm -hmm. kind of erratic sometimes. And, uh, it is a point and click adventure where you play as a soldier in the Holy war. And the game starts off right off the bat with this soldier killing lots of people, just going around (laughs) screen to screen, just maiming people, beheading people with their sword left and right. And this is setting the tone of the game, um, which is really dark and disturbing and a lot of dark humor going on in the procession to Calvary. And in the middle of this carnage, it is suddenly declared that the Holy War is over. And this new leader, Immortal John, is taking over the throne from Heavenly Peter, who was a really violent oppressive ruler. And it is now a time of peace and prosperity with Immortal John. And you talk to Immortal John and you ask about his philosophies and things, and it looks like things are going to be very prosperous. And you discover that the previous leader, Heavenly Peter, was never actually killed in this uh, in this new uh, leadership. So the soldier that you're playing as mistakes this as an order to go find Heavenly Peter, who has moved away to a, another land, and to kill him. And this sets you off on your quest because your character is still very much in this place of like bloodlust and wants to keep killing people. And so any excuse to do that, I'm going to go do it. And so <laughs> let's go find Heavenly Peter and kill him. Uh, it's kind of like this open thread that we need to close. And then the gameplay uh, becomes this mixture of talking to people and doing errands for people, looking for key items, interacting with objects, just like a lot of other point-and-click adventures. And there are two main methods of progression. There is a really cheap and easy and uh, violent way where you just kill everybody to get what you want and to get access to things. And that dramatically cuts down the playtime. And, <laughs> then and then there's the methodical, slow and correct way to play the game, which is by doing errands for people, actually talking to people to see what they're about, and um, earning that uh, access forward in the game. The game uh, has a lot of -of matter-of-fact violence, uh, cartoonish maiming, a lot of crude humor. There is religious commentary. 
And there are three different endings depending on your actions. Uh, the game also features classical music of the Renaissance era too. So every single screen actually has a different piece of classical music that's playing that helps to add uh, some character and personality to each area. What I liked about the Procession to Calvary, for better or worse, this is one of the most bizarre games I've ever played. It is <laughs> Imagine that. very strange. Um, you know, I've talked about other humorous games uh, like Jazz Punk from season one was bizarre and strange and humorous. And this game is really nothing like jazz punk, but it's trying to do humor in a new way, which is really admirable and something you don't see a lot, especially in point and click games. Uh, there's something really uncanny and off kilter about this cutout animation style that's applied to these Renaissance paintings. You've got this high art that people in the art world revere that that is very special is of a time that we will never be able to repeat and yet there's all this lowbrow humor applied to it right. and there's something just so contradictory about that so oxymoronic about that and it makes all of the humor and all of the actions of the characters more shocking and characters are also often paired with sound effectively there is a screen where a bunch of people are being crucified and they are screaming, and it is horrifying. Um, and then there's a screen where someone's being tortured. They're uh, being rotated over a fire, mm -hmm. and they're completely nude, and uh, that person's screaming. So, like, that you can't look away from. It makes you want to do those screens faster because you just can't, like, at a certain point bear it anymore. Um, but then, you know, that is paired with all these lush colors right. and people dressed in extravagant clothes. And so I find that really interesting and fun and different. Each screen having a different piece of classical music is really ambitious. I like that additional flavor of identity in each screen. And then the solutions to the puzzles are often ludicrous in a really funny way. I'll give a couple examples of this. So uh, there is a city that you need to gain entrance to, and there are two guards who won't let you in because you don't have a uh, a permit or a, a visa of some kind. Um, you're just a soldier trying to get in with no good reason. Um, so they, they refuse you access. And there is a woman with a donkey cart right outside of town, and she has a permit to get into the city. And she says, if you help me fix my cart and feed my donkey... I will let you hide in my cart and then we can go into the city together. That's how you, and then you go, oh, that's how I get in, of course. Right. So you find a really bizarre way to fix the cart. You find um, a bizarre way to get an apple for the donkey. And then you think you're going to be able to just hop in her cart and she abandons you with oh. nothing in return. <laughs> She's like, it basically tricks you. And then the two guards watch all this happening. And they decide to let you into the city on the basis that you're a gullible rube who can be exploited. You know, so it's like <laughs> you end up getting into the city by doing the thing that you thought you needed to do, but the how of getting into the city is different and unexpected. Um, there's another section where you need to collect jewelry for someone. You need to collect like three pieces of jewelry. And you need an amethyst, like this purple gem. Mm-hmm. And do you know the painting of the girl with the pearl earring? Do you know like yeah, that, yeah, that yeah. classic painting? You're talking about. You actually find that girl on one screen and she is wearing, instead of a pearl in her ear, she's wearing an amethyst. Oh. And in another quest, you have found a pearl 
And so you trade the pearl for her amethyst, and then she puts the pearl in her ear and runs away. So that's presumably how she ended up getting that pearl. So that just it creates this funny backstory um, for that painting. Um, doing the violent method in this game, just going around slaughtering people, is cathartic. But your character pays the price in the end, and you get the bad ending. Mm -hmm. So I like that I was able to go through and do the really fast one first, which was the violent stuff, seeing all the screens and areas of the game and getting familiar that way, um, and then getting that ending in like maybe half an hour or less. Oh, wow. And uh, then being able to restart the game with a new mission of, okay, now I'm going to truly be this... Um, pacifist and try to find the right solutions. And I'm already familiar with the game, so I feel like I have a good sort of roadmap for how to do that. Um, there are great moments of breaking the fourth wall. There are moments where the game will comment on itself, and it does this usually with God showing up, and God will show up and, and like comment on things directly. There is an instance where there, your character reaches for something through a window, and the animation looks really bad. And then God shows up, he goes, wow, that that looked awful. And then proceeds to talk about why the developer did that awful animation. It's because they couldn't get it to look right. And so instead of wasting a bunch of time trying to perfect it, they lean into that messiness and comment on how bad it looks. Mm -hmm. And then you get a little commentary on the developer himself, on Joe Richardson. And so I think that that's a really funny, kind of clever way to clean up a mistake by just leaning into it and having fun with it and laughing at it. So you're laughing with him, but then sometimes you're laughing at him mm -hmm. for some of the things he's deciding to put into the game. So that's kind of fun. Uh, there are things I disliked about the procession to Calvary, and some of it has to do with just the point-and-click style of gameplay not entirely being my kind of game, which yeah. is a me problem. Some people will inherently enjoy these kinds of games more, and I understand that. But some of the text can be hard to read against the complicated backgrounds of the paintings. The game uses these really nice, bright font colors, uh, and I don't mind that, but um, all they have is like a black stroke on the side, and sometimes the legibility suffers because that clashes with the paintings. And I had to like kind of squint and take an extra moment to read uh, the texts. Um, there are many conversations that you get into that are pretty shallow, and they actually don't move you forward. Um, sometimes you'll talk to a character, and they'll have like four different things to say. And you, that character might be non-essential. You, you don't even need to talk to most characters in this game. And what they tell you is really inconsequential and shallow. And mm -hmm. so I just wish there was a little bit more depth with some of those side characters. And uh, some solutions require revisiting a small number of screens many times. So it can feel like you're walking back and forth a lot between three or four areas okay. to like do a sequence of events. And so at a certain point, I didn't like doing that, especially when you're doing trial and error. And I had to do trial and error quite a lot in this game to figure out exactly what some NPCs were wanting me to do with combining items or placing items or using items it was pretty vague which is a hallmark of point and click adventure games yeah, like things are usually vague but um i felt like i was going back and forth like in the middle section of the game a lot trying to figure out like what do i do with these three things are these items even essential so i i knew what i was supposed to do but using the items i had in my inventory to get there was um challenging for me. And I ended up having to look up a few solutions, which I don't like to do, but I had to do that to get this game done with all the endings. Um, and then the game just kind of made me feel a little gross by the end. I think that's uh, a 
intended side effect maybe, but I was kind of done with like the the feeling, the emotion of this game uh, a little sooner than I was actually done with the game. But overall, the procession to Calvary is unlike any adventure game I've played. It is not for everyone, um, especially if you're easily offended by crude humor. Um, I would stay away from this game if that uh, describes you. And although the game is short, it does still require some patience, but a lot of people out there might be fans of Monty Python or Renaissance art. And for those people, uh, this will be very worthwhile. I will give this game a seven out of 10. Hackers. And it is playable on PC, Mac, Linux, Nintendo Switch, uh, PlayStation 4, which is where I played it, Xbox One, Android, and iOS. So nice. it's on a ton it's on of a lot of stuff. It Point is. and click games are pretty-, pretty Transferable. Yeah, yeah, I would say. For sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, (laughs) (laughs) you're, you've watched the trailer. What are your impressions of like what you're seeing? (laughs) Well, um, I definitely expected it to, you talked about how dark it was, how gruesome it was. I was expecting it to mostly just fall into the absurdist humor more like a jazz punk. Mm. Um, and so I guess that's what I was expecting. Uh, but it sounds like that's pretty different. Yeah, so there is absurdist humor. There is um, just stuff you wouldn't expect these characters who look like this to say. The first thing you can ask Immortal John is like, so can I do some more murders now? <laughs> you know, so there's <laughs> there's a lot of that. Just blatant crude stuff that's funny. Yeah. Um, again, that's going back to that just contradiction of the art style and the language. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, immediately when... God popped in in the trailer. The first thing I thought of was Monty Python. And so I'm glad yes. that, that that's like a part of the Steam description. Um, yeah, I don't I don't know if I'll pick it up, but uh, I wouldn't mind watching someone play through it, I think. Yeah, um, there are playthroughs, I think, of people doing the right things in the right order. And I think it's less than an hour okay. to like see everything if you know what you're doing. So Perfect. I think it's worth the time. There's some funny dialogue, and uh, I actually did not even get through all the dialogue options with every single side character, just because so many of these Renaissance paintings have big ensembles. Of people, yeah. yeah, tons of people, and so I just couldn't um, talk to everybody. But I found the people that I was supposed to talk to. It does guide you really well with like, no, again, knowing what you're supposed to do. Uh, but then it's just a matter of like, what obscure thing do you need to do to get the jewelry, for instance, mm-hmm. for that one quest? So those are our secret games, Rain World and The Procession to Calvary. Let's move on to our review of Stray. It is our featured game. Stray is a 2022 adventure game developed by Blue 12 Studio. As we mentioned before, it is their debut, and it was nominated for Best Indie Debut Game at the Game Awards. Um, And it was published by Annapurna Interactive, uh, a common publisher in the indie game world, a very uh, recognized and noteworthy publisher for sure. Talk about them in a couple episodes. Yes, we will. They show up in season three (laughs) a couple times. I will read the game synopsis from the Steam storefront for Stray. Quote, lost, alone, and separated from family, a stray cat must untangle an ancient mystery to escape a long-forgotten cyber city and find their way home. End quote. I think that's a very apt, efficient description, uh, but we'll talk about how the game works a little bit more and how 
things began here. So Stray is played in the third-person perspective, and you play as a cat who is a member of a family of stray cats who all look different. So they kind of you assume that they kind of found each other and are now hanging out doing life together. Uh, the cat doesn't talk, nor do we ever hear the English language in Stray. Um, although we do read English, which we'll get to in a second. And the cat isn't named, as far as I could tell. It doesn't have any sort of name, right? He is not named. He's also not gendered, for that matter. But yeah. um, I believe they mocapped a real cat, uh, or at least was the this character was inspired by a real cat named Murtov. Murtov. Yeah. Okay. I didn't. I didn't know that. Um, but I was just going to call it the cat throughout this review. I, that's more just appropriate. I would ease say. Ease of use. Yeah. Okay. So this family of cats are moving through a deserted area above a walled city at the beginning of the game, and you take control during this part. And I don't think it's even ten minutes of gameplay in before the cat you're playing as attempts to jump from this broken piece of pipe and it breaks and the cat falls down into the city and gets separated from its family. And this city that it falls into was intended for humans who are no longer there. That is a whole mystery that's unraveled throughout the adventure that we won't spoil. Um, The cat explores a variety of areas and soon discovers these headcrab-like enemies called zerks who are evolved from a certain kind of bacteria. And again, that's all we'll say on that. Mm -hmm. But that is kind of the main enemy of this game. Uh, Later, you run into uh, robots called sentinels that patrol around, and those can catch you too. We uh, soon find a scientist's lab and an AI called B12 who ends up accompanying the cat in a drone body. You help the drone or you help the AI uh, take on the body of a drone. And then that's the way that you translate robotic alien language into English in this game. B12 follows you around and you discover these companions who are the robots of this game. If you watch the trailers and gameplay footage for this game, you'll know these robotic servants are a lot of the big visual identity for this game. Um, And they were originally designed to serve the humans. And again, the humans aren't there. So these robots are just hanging out uh, building their own societies uh, together, living together, and actually taking on human uh, behaviors and attitudes and wearing human clothes. And so it's like kind of like the humans of this game, but they're robots. So there are companions called outsiders, and outsiders are particularly interested in climbing to the surface and escaping this walled city. And so together with B12 and the outsiders, the cat goes on all these missions to climb out of the city and go to the surface. Uh, Stray features a variety of gameplay mechanics. There are some levels that are more linear. Um, and then there are other levels that are more open-ended. Some are kind of resemble towns or cities. And then some levels contain more puzzles or sentinel robots to avoid or zerks to run away from. And then for controls, the cat can jump, but only to certain platforms. And you need to see a prompt to be able to jump. So this isn't like 
one of my previous secret games, um, Cat Lateral Damage Remastered, where mm. you can just jump wherever, and you have the crazy jump where you can just like <laughs> spring onto any platform you see fit. Um, it's The game is actually quite selective about which platforms you can jump to. There are many of them, but you do need to be adjacent to them, and you do need to see a button prompt to be able to go there. Uh, the cat can sprint. There's also a dedicated meow button. Hackers, there is. Yeah, and, baby. And I bet you played around with that immediately. Oh, so much. Just tap in circle on PlayStation to meow yeah. over and over. Um, the cat can also pick up uh, side quests from the companions who mostly ask for items to be collected. You're mostly fetching things in this game to make progress uh, in both the side and the main missions, I think. And then B12 is... Uh, what's interesting about B12 is... B12 has memories about the past, but they're obscured and a little forgotten. And you can recover those memories by interacting with certain objects in the environment. And that's how we translate some of the language. That's how we get some of the lore and world building too, to know not only what is going on in this world, but what happened to those humans, why the Zerks are here. What does all this mean? What is this walled city about? It's also essentially your primary like collectible for those of you looking for collectibles yes and those those uh show up in the achievements and trophies uh for sure so disco cola we are both cat people mm -hmm. you you have more than one cat mm -hmm. you are definitely a cat person you've yes. been a cat person as long as i've known you and this game was revealed a while back when the ps5 was revealed and i think it was revealed in the same showcase as bug snacks yep um so when you saw this game revealed as a cat person, what were your impressions and hopes for the game? Well, that very initial one was very short, so there wasn't like a lot to go on. But um, yeah, like you said, I love cats like a lot. Like I really love cats. Um, and so yeah, as we got more and more trailers and footage throughout the years, I just kept getting more and more excited because it's also robots, but like sort of rudimentary robots, and that allows like a lot of really cool. Uh, design choices too. Um, so it's like old tech meeting new tech and cats and dystopia. Uh, so it's just like this perfect storm of things that I love. I didn't even think about that uh, intersection between cats and these um, lower tech robots, that that's also something that you like in fictional media, like that kind of idea mm -hmm. in science fiction. So this game feels like it was created in a laboratory for you <laughs> and lots of other people because this was a highly anticipated game. But now that you've played it, giving you the floor, what are your thoughts on Stray? Yeah, there's a lot that uh, I really love about this game, as you might expect. Um, I think the puzzles, there's a lot of puzzles in this game. I think they are all mostly reasonable to figure out. Um, pieces to the puzzle can be picked up before you even know that you need them and you'll just have them lying around in your inventory. I love that. I love when you can finish a task. You don't have to wait for it to be prompted by finishing a different task. You can just pick up this piece of the puzzle, and then when you need it, you already have it, and the story doesn't lose any steam because you already had it. It just makes sense that you already had it. Love that in games. So cool. Um, one of the things that I want I want to point out about this and cat lateral damage and a lot of games I've seen with cats <laughs> is that cats are actually super, super graceful. Like, yes, you can jump to a lot of really cool places, but in this game and cat lateral damage, you like 
jump onto counters, and everything gets just knocked over all willy-nilly. When I see cats walking on crowded counters, they're taking these like tiny, tiny steps, and they're very delicate to avoid as many obstacles as they can. Now, you know, stuff still gets knocked over sometimes, but yeah. rarely have I seen a cat just like jump onto a counter and just like disregard objects yeah, entirely. That's kind of where the jump wherever you want idea doesn't fit this game because this cat feels very calculated in where it wants to go. This cat feels like a cat that plans where it wants to go. Yes. And yeah, you can knock stuff over, but the the funny idea of cat lateral damage is you actually have a button dedicated to swiping your paws. Right. And, I, and the goal of the game is to ruin your owner's house, and that's the cat's decision. Mm-hmm. And here, the cat's decision is escaping this place and going upward. And most of the time when you're jumping, you're jumping upward, and you are carefully calculating where you're jumping. Yeah. And so that idea of what, how a cat moves translates. Yes. So I wanted to point that out. Um, so even though you can just like jump on a pool table and just sort of like roll around until all the balls are gone, usually that's not how cats work, but it's still fun. Um, it's still a great love letter to cats uh, in this case in particular. Um, you can do the cat rub up against robot friends. Uh, but there needs to be more of that. There's only like, <laughs> yes, you could count on two hands the number of times you can do that in the game. Yes. More, please. Um, I loved the story and the ending. I especially loved the ending. Um, the main twist is something that I should have seen coming. Like normally I would have predicted probably the main twist, um, but I didn't this time. And I like when stories surprise me. Mm. Um, I think some areas have a little too much to explore. You talked about linear areas and more city-like areas. Some of those city areas are just a little bit too big for me. Most paths do result in some sort of reward, even if it's off the beaten path, but not often enough to make me want to spend that time every time, to climb into every single window and look under every single table or look behind you know, all the different shelves. It doesn't reward me enough times um, to make me want to do that every time. Um, points of no return aren't always clear the first time you play. Uh, this game does have a chapter select, so you'll always be able to retry certain areas. Um, but I just I wish that I could just travel back. I can't think of a particular point in the game until maybe the end where physically you would be unable to travel back. Yeah, there's some levels like um, the the rooftops and the dead ends and the sewers where I'm not sure if you can return to some of those places. Right. Um, where you're just going to chapter select, so yep, you essentially you, you break that you break that um, kind of illusion of the whole world seeming like it's connected together. In yeah, that way. a little bit. Yeah. So I wish I could travel back. Not a huge deal. The game's not super long. Um, and there's not like a ton of collectibles to miss in the first place. So um, this is one of those games where even if you're just sort of floofing around, uh, it's still super fun. Uh, it's so much, so accessible and so much fun that I actually started playing this game with my two-year-old. Nice. And it might be the first game that we've actually, actually played together, you know, as opposed to just like handing her a controller that's not doing anything. We didn't do anything substantial, of course. We just sat there and meowed and watched the <laughs> idle animations. Sure, but yeah. I got to play this game with my kid, um, and that's super fun. Uh, yeah, I don't really have any dislikes other than the points of no return. 
Uh, I think this game is a great love letter to cats, and I'll take more great love letters to cats uh, in the future. Just just give me all the cat games. I've been looking forward to this game since the first trailer, and it wasn't quite what I expected. I wasn't expecting this like grander, overarching story. I thought I was just gonna, you know, hang out with some robots, maybe, or help one or two of them. But um, it, it's it's even better than I would have expected in that case. Mm. Um, and obviously, I'm very biased towards cats, so I was always, always going to enjoy this game. Uh, but I think the hype for this game is earned. I think anybody capable of controlling an R-stick camera can play this game. Uh, and I don't think it's a perfect game, but I also don't think there's anything actually wrong with it. It's my favorite game I've played with a cat. Nice. I wow. give Stray a 9.5 out of 10. Wonderful. Oh, my goodness. I'm not surprised, honestly. Um, I figured you would love this. And I'm right there with you. I devoured Stray. I played all of Stray in one weekend, and I got both platinum stacks across PS4 and PS5 within that weekend, too. Yeah, you did. So I played this game, actually did this game, uh, like, basically three and a half playthroughs. I did a, a full playthrough where I, like, collected everything, and then I turned around and did a speed run to get that trophy, which is one of the most annoying trophies, but you have to complete the game in under two hours. And then when I knew that game super well, I hopped onto the PS4 version, did the speed run immediately, collecting most of the things along the way and still able to, you know, complete it in under two hours and then just cleaned up that playthrough. Yeah, I just couldn't put this game down. Um, I think Blue 12 understands cats so well. And it comes down to little touches, like how light reflects in the cat's eyes. Mm, yeah. How you can jump into boxes like cats like to do. My cat loves boxes. I cats put, love boxes, baby. I, whenever I get a new package in the mail, I don't throw away the cardboard box. I don't recycle it. I put it out for a few days so the my cat can jump into it. And there are boxes you can hide into, not just for the fun of it, but also there's a gameplay uh, element to it to actually hide from things looking for you. Um, there's a moment where you get B12 as a companion and the cat has to don this little outfit. And there is a moment where the cat doesn't want to wear the outfit and is moving very slowly. <laughs> and like how a cat would, yeah. if you put like a sweater on a cat, it it's not just that you get this a few times throughout the game, but it is a hundred little touches like this that add up to a really special experience, a, an experience where they clearly took a long time to think of all this stuff. And I think this game was in development for many years yeah. uh, before it came out. I, I think they originally started working on this in like 2015 or something. So it's been a good amount of time that they've uh, taken with this. There is a great variety in level design and a lot of it comes down to that variation in the more linear levels, the puzzle levels, and then the open-ended levels. I love that variety. I think there are the right amount of large areas like the slums um, and uh, the one later, uh, mid Midtown. Midtown, yeah. Uh, I love that there are just two of those areas because they're spread out really well. Um, in between them, there are nice smaller sections to help break things up where you're doing different things that you can't do in those bigger cities. And um, I love all the nooks and crannies in those cities. I know that you're not always uh, rewarded so much with exploring every single optional side path, but 
I think this game has insanely good set dressing and art direction. I love the dystopian post-apocalyptic cyber city approach where we get all these neon signs and dilapidated buildings and interesting machinery. Um, I think the cat feels great to play. Again, I love the jump wherever you want thing isn't how this cat is controlled. It is you're carefully calculating where the cat should go. That feels like who this cat should be. I think the cat has a comfortable sprinting speed too. If oh, you just yeah. need to cover lots of distance, doing that sprint feels nice. Also love the techno, jazz, and ambient music, which is really fitting for this setting. I think the collectibles add uh, not only some great exploration, but really interesting lore. There is a collectible that gives really interesting backstory into the Zerks, and I actually missed that collectible on my first playthrough. And when I did my cleanup, I found that one collectible and it gave me all of the questions, it gave me the answers to the questions I had about the Zerks. I was like, wow. What's great about that is the story in this game works at both a micro level and a macro level. Mm. It works at the level where you're just following the cat in this present moment until it hopefully reaches the surface. But you can take a step back and look at the whole world and learn about the history of how this world got to be where it is and what happened to the humans and what's going on with the companions and what's going on with the Zerks. All that stuff is also interesting. And you can kind of choose which one to pay attention to. You can pay attention to both. Um, I was surprised at how deep the plot developments were, at how deep the world building was too. And I also love the dual sense effects on the PS5 version of this Ooh, game. Okay, let's hear it. Um, so this is similar to Cat Lateral Damage. When I played that, when you go to sleep, you purr. Ah, and there are great yes. purring haptics, like that same ideas in this game. And then uh, when you scratch things, you can scratch furniture and carpets and curtains in this game. There's great trigger resistance to represent the pulling of oh, the claws down. Oh, yes. That feels good. Uh, I love the trophy list in this game. It asks you to do really interesting things. Some things you would naturally do and some things you have to go out of your way for. I think that makes for a great variety with a trophy list. You have to nuzzle up to those robots. You talked about that a little bit. Um, and doing that is so charming because they get a little heart on their screen of their face. Mm -hmm. I love that. Uh, scratching something in every chapter um, it makes me look for those spots to scratch, and then I get that really nice haptic feedback in the triggers when I do that. Um, you have to wear a paper bag, which reverses your <laughs> controls for a second until you like hit a wall and the bag bounces off. So I love that I'm being rewarded for those miscellaneous fun things in this game. Um, I agree that Stray isn't perfect. I, I pretty much never think a game is perfect, but my dislikes for this game, um, I think this game needs a little bit more time at the beginning to build the relationship with the rest of the cat family. Because mm. I get that it's a member of this cat family, but I would have loved maybe just like five more minutes to fall in love further with these other cats. Um, maybe it's just a quick cutscene or uh, drag out the beginning just a little bit longer so that when the cat gets separated, you have built up this proper amount of time that I feel like the game maybe just didn't do enough of. Okay. Uh, you do get the shot of the cats looking down at the cat as it's descending into the city and falling down. So that's heartbreaking just on a visual level, but more emotionally, I think they could have built it up a little bit, maybe with more backstory. Um, I think the last level has a great moment where you're looking out a window 
and has a great sense of scale at this certain point. And I love the final moment and especially how the music builds up in the final moment. But the the level was a little disappointing to me uh, just because it felt a little bland leading up to those big final conclusion moments, which I did love. Mm -hmm. But the level itself I thought was just a little bland compared to my expectations. Um, I think the objectives in Stray revolve around fetching things too much for mostly companions, it feels like. I wish there was more of a balance of environmental puzzles where you're finding um, something that's blocking your way and you need to use the environment to get through. Gotcha. I, I, I wish there was a little bit more of that stuff. Uh, I also wish there was more customization for the cat, like different outfits it could wear. Um, I know that there was a particular creative decision with making the cat this orange cat for everybody and that you can't pick which cat uh, it is from the family of stray cats. For instance, you can't have the cat be a black cat or like a calico, like white cat. Mm -hmm. um, but I wish that that was somehow an option because I would have loved to play as the black cat because mm -hmm. that's my cat at home. Um, I found that the camera occasionally got lost from what I was doing and it just couldn't keep up with my jumping around and would sometimes like just get a little crazy. And then sometimes the jumping prompts were finicky on certain platforms where I just wanted to get that X button to show up and I had to keep moving the cat and like moving the camera so that it would register. Yeah. Uh, sometimes that breaks the flow of the platforming. But overall, I think Stray is a lovingly made game. Its world feels really lush with detail. It has an eerie yet hopeful sense about it. And it doesn't start or end the strongest for me, but as a cat lover, I found a lot to love about Stray. And I rate it an 8.5 out of 10. Nice. And I thought about giving it a nine, so I was kind of on the upper end of eight for this game. Cool. Um, yeah, I didn't even mention the music. The music you mentioned is is really good. I didn't notice it for a long time, but then I was going through the Ant Village, mm. and then just something in that song just took a turn, and it was awesome. Yes. And so then I checked out all of the music just on its own later. Um, very good stuff. I especially, obviously, recommend Ant Village uh, song. Yeah, we haven't talked about Ant Village yet, but that's another area that's kind of like a city. It's before you get to Midtown, and it's um, more of just kind of a connecting area. Mm -hmm. And that area reminded me of how vertiginous things can be. You can, you know, right away in the slums, which is like the fourth chapter, you're in this little town, and you can go up many stories and go to all these corners of the town. And the level is actually designed to have you spread out and go to all these different apartment buildings and find things. And so that's what really opened up my mind about what this game can be and uh, really appreciated that because I like that feeling of, even though I'm directionally challenged, I like that feeling of I can go anywhere and be a little confused about where I should go in this game because the art direction is so nice to look mm -hmm. at. You know, I loved everywhere I was going because it was so pretty. There was so much attention to detail. And I think as long as you are up on a higher level, because I got lost in that level for a while too, mm -hmm. but only when I was on the ground level, as you get higher, there's more things that are more easily identifiable, mm -hmm. I would say. And I think it used a lot of that art direction that you're talking about to sort of like help you get reoriented. Yes. So if you take the time to climb up a building right quick, if you're lost, 
you can sort of like see, oh, that's where the people throwing the paint cans are. Yes. I know that that's next to, you know. This apartment building. Exactly. Which is near this. Yeah. And it teaches you to look for those symbols at the beginning. When you're trying to find the outsiders, you have to go to each of their paths and you're taught to look for that like blue square with the white circle, mm-hmm. you know? And and so once I figured that out, I was like, oh, I haven't even been to this corner of the map. Now I know to look up there and I see way in the distance, this place I haven't been to yet. So um, I loved exploring that place. Uh, the time just melted away when I was doing that. I was doing a bunch of um, collecting and preparation for side quests I didn't even have yet Mm -hmm. too. And that goes back to what you said about collecting things before um, you need to collect them and that that's okay. Uh, Love that. Love that I'm being rewarded for being curious. Um, Something I thought about mentioning in my overall thoughts is about the perspective of the cat and how the cat is doing all of this exploration doing all this logic making and puzzle solving, um, which I don't feel like are the cat's decisions. Right. Right. No cat on earth (laughs) would see a like spinning fan and think, oh, to stop that spinning fan, I should go down and pick up a bucket and then roll it down this slope so that it gets stuck in the fans that I can go through, for instance. Like no cat would be able to do that and no cat would think to do that. Um, So one thing that kept cropping up for me playing Stray is I got a little ripped out of the experience thinking this cat would not do this decision. It is me doing this decision and I am doing it through the body of this cat. Whereas in games like in Limbo, uh, I am solving all these puzzles. It is a fantastical world. It's a, a fictional world. But in the context of that world, I believe the character I'm playing as would do the things that I'm telling him to do. Mm-hmm. I don't believe the cat would do the things I'm telling the cat to do. You so know, I was wondering if I, I know it's like such a specific kind of criticism, but it's something that kept sort of bothering me. Did that ever happen for you? I'm the kind of guy that watches movies and anytime there's broken glass, I'm like, okay, come on, guys. So, of course, that's the kind of thing that I I pick up on. But I sort of have adopted the explain it away with, you know, if you put a million monkeys in a room, eventually one of them's going to recreate the works of Shakespeare or whatever. Right. And this is so, that cat. This is that cat this that's that like cat. doing all the right things at all the right time. Which is why we're seeing this cat's story above yeah. other cat stories. And it also extended for me into the translations that B12 does. All the companions have this robotic language. It sounds like gobbledygook, but B12 can translate it. And you don't hear the English language, but you read the translations popping up on screen from B12. And I also thought... Those are not intended for the cat at all. Those are intended for me, the player. And so, like, why is B12 doing that? Like, why is B12 with me doing that? So that is totally mine. That is not the cat's. One way they could have tried something different, and it would be so much more challenging, but a cat might understand imagery and iconography mm-hmm. like Hyperlight Drifter or Rain World. But that was another like weird disconnect for me. Um, I don't imagine it will land that way on most people. It was just a very specific thing for me. I also feel like the game wants to have 
um, these emotional moments. And it happens really early on with the cat falling down and you see the three cats looking down. That was the most heartbreaking moment for me. Um, but then we get into this world that has all these robots that are expressive and that have human-like traits, but they aren't humans and they don't speak our language. And so there's a little bit of a barrier there. So I was wondering if you had emotional resonance with those characters, if you feel like the game did a good job of trying to communicate emotion without the usual ways that we communicate emotion. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah I think they did a great job. The The ability to have an LCD face that can change to a very specific reaction like you you have some characters essentially reacting with emojis like there's times in real life where i i wish i could just throw up an emoji right quick um to to make my point very clear and funny um yeah i think it did a great job of of doing that and like there's there's certain like physical movements that you can get them to do too when when they react to you there's one character that's sleeping and you can just like hop up on him and take a nap and he mm. he reacts in such an incredible way uh and then you can just nap there and it's that was one of my favorite um moments just inside gameplay yeah. it was just like napping on this sleeping robot there are uh lots of ways they make the robots the companions human and you just list a couple examples I honestly did not expect there to be this many robots I didn't in the game. Either yeah. there are many dozens of them. I thought there would be, based on trailers and stuff, I thought there would be like ten mm -hmm. in the game. When you learn more about the world, what was really emotional for me was um, I almost like, in my mind, imagined there being as many humans as there were robots in this game like i imagined that there was a companion robot for every human or mm, something like mm -hmm. that and so then i thought when i learned about what happened to this city and you know why the humans are gone and stuff like that i basically was imagining each robot as one of those people and so for me i was thinking like wow this is a representation of how many people were affected by this world i also love the the heart emojis on the faces and stuff like that does go a long way to like connect you to what is there and kind of in line with some of the smaller sections there are moments where um the robots will accompany you mm -hmm. um did you tend to prefer those over the wider sections no but not it didn't have much to do with the fact that the robots were accompanying me it had to do with that those were more like stealth based sections of the game for the most part. Gotcha. I don't tend to enjoy st stealth games quite as much um, as just like action platformers and puzzle platformers. Yeah. So the stealth the stealth sections were probably like my least favorite and that just happens to be when those robots are also uh, accompanying you. Gotcha. And yeah, that's when you're hiding from the sentry robots. There's another kind of um, specific encounter with Zerks where... Zerks are chasing you and jumping onto you. I think another criticism I would have is just sometimes that felt a little unfair or they mm -hmm. moved in a way where it was hard to... Can't predict it. It's very hard to predict. There were times where I felt like I didn't dodge that well and I was safe. Yeah. And other times where I very mindfully dodged and I still got attacked by a Zerk. So yep. that was unfortunate. And it was unfortunate for a certain trophy which I don't know if you've tried <laughs> have, this one yet. I tried it for a little while, but I was like, I just got to get the story done. 
Yeah, there's a trophy where you have to get through the first Zerk encounter where you're attacked by hundreds of Zerks and you can't let one of them touch you and there are no checkpoints. And uh, this took me like 40 or 50 tries, Oof, I want to say. I hate to hear that. And okay. even after I quote unquote mastered it, which I didn't even like feel like <laughs> I was good at it, I felt like I was really lucky. When I tried it on the PS4 stack, uh, it still took me 20 or 30 tries. Oh, so Yeah, when you told me how fast you did the PS4 one, I'm like, how with this? How, I know. What? <laughs> yeah. So knowing what I knew from the PS5 version, I hopped onto the PS4 version and just like decided I'm going to do this as fast as I can. And I was able to do it all in four hours and eight minutes. And I'm number th- right now, I will probably be surpassed and bumped off this list eventually, but I am number 31 in the world. Congrats. Thank you. And someone else is also at four hours and eight minutes, and they're at number 32. So I must have done it a few seconds faster than them. That's how tight some of this leaderboard stuff is. The person faster than me, four hours, seven minutes, and then we have a couple four hours and six minutes. So it gets down to the second with some of these placements. But then, like, yeah, the top person, two hours, 50 minutes. So you should try to beat that Yeah. on your main profile. <laughs> I won't, but I'll, I'll still try to get on the leaderboard, I think. Yeah, you definitely should. I think it's definitely doable for sure. After like, did you play on your junk? I profile? didn't. I I played on my junk profile okay. at first because um, I uh, I don't know why. Oh, I think because I wanted to play it with my wife, and then I wanted to earn all the trophies on my own. Also, gotcha. So. That makes sense. Yeah. So did, you mentioned playing a little bit with your kid. Did you play with your wife? I didn't. We didn't have time. Okay. Um. Yeah. Busy. Busy time right now. Do you have any other praises, little moments, fun facts about the game you wanted to share? Um, it's the only game so far this season to make me cry. And I'm actually like three or four episodes ahead right now on gameplay. So um, that it gets that little flag wow. in the sand. A little stamp um, of approval. Yeah. Uh, love that. Um, yeah. It's, it's a great game. And... Uh, I'm glad that I finally have my physical version, that I was able to play it. I've been looking forward to it for so long, and it's finally here, and it was worth the wait. Nice. Well, since you were eagerly anticipating it, and because you gave it such a high score, I wanted to give you uh, the final floor on the game. Uh, That is our review of Stray. You can play it on PC, PS4, and PS5. Disco Cola rated it a 9.5. I rated it an 8.5. That's the end of this episode of Underplayed. You can find more of our episodes at kzum.org slash underplayed and on common podcast services like Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Our music was composed by Jack Rodenberg and our art comes from Oni Mochi. Underplayed is on Twitter at underplayedpod. You can find me on Twitter at bopo, that's B-O underscore P-O. And check out that same handle on the GG app where you can see my game lists like my top 100 games of all time. And I am Disco Cola, and I want to give a quick shout out to Oni Mochi. His art style, a lot of it falls in line with some of the art style you kind of see in Stray. So as soon as he has a bigger social media presence, check him out. We love his art. Uh, anyways, I'm Disco Cola. You can find me on Twitter with that handle. Uh, and I am back to streaming on Twitch occasionally. Wonderful. Next time, we'll have two more secret games to review, and our featured game will be Return of the Oberdin, a mystery puzzle game developed by Lucas Pope. Until then, everyone, keep on playing.